Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Gareth, you're very welcome to the Scaling Your Business podcast. I'm delighted to have you on as guest number 13. Thanks for having me. Yeah, delighted. Look, um, Gareth, from your LinkedIn profile, I can see that you're CEO, co-founder of Park Office and Park PMP. And pre, pre prior to that, you were the co-founder of Crust Bakery. I I'm not gonna lie, I've done quite a bit of a deep dive on on who you are, what you've done. But rather than me tell the listeners, why don't you take the mic for thirty seconds and give your your thirty second spiel? Sure. Um, firstly, thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Gareth Flower, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Park Office. And Park Office is a SaaS solution, software as a service solution that automates and allocates parking spaces for enterprise. So this is a, a an interesting proposition which which um, we developed over the last five years. Myself and my co-founder Daniel Paul. And essentially, we work with leading enterprises around the world um, to sort their parking problems, which is a real pain um, for employees, uh, as you can imagine, all across the world. So we have clients now all the way f- from New Zealand uh, to LA on the West Coast. Um, where we, we hit our milestone recently of 10 Fortune 500s um, across eight countries. So it's been a busy few years um, before Park Office, and how we got into the glorious world of parking, we started a company called Park PNP, a solution, um, a solution that is essentially easiest way to put it is the Airbnb of parking spaces. Uh, so you can go to parkpnp.com and, and list your parking space in front of your home, uh, in, in front of your hotel or your car park, and you can manage it all through parkpnp.com. We take a small fee from every booking. And we advertise it out to 75,000 drivers across the country. We're the biggest parking marketplace in Ireland with that solution, 24,000 spaces. And we also have a small presence in Belgium and the Netherlands with that. Um, before that, I, um, I set up a, a bakery, surprisingly enough. Um, when I was just out of college, qualified as an accountant and uh, from Dublin Business School. And I wanted to start a business. So immediately got into, um, I introduced myself to another guy, Rob Kramer, who's an Austrian guy. And he was really good at baking. And the first time we met, he brought pastries over. And I said, wow, Rob, these are amazing. Let's uh, sell these. And we managed to scale that company. It's still around today. I exited that in 2018. Um, but we grew to be the largest supplier of donuts in Ireland. We supplied Tesco's nationwide, um, Apple Greens store, Apple Greens convenience all across the, the country, uh, butters, chocolates uh, to super values all the way from Tralee to uh, from Dingle to uh, to the north. So we um, we grew that. We had three coffee shops in Dublin city centre, Georgia Street, Kildare Street, and Andrew Street, and um, and a catering business online, which which supplied offices across the, the city. Um, so yeah, it's, I suppose if you could term myself, I, I term myself as more of a 
a sort of an inventor uh, slash innovator. I like to look at industries that I see problems in and, and jump into it. I had no intention of being in the food industry or parking industry, but seen a massive problem and have created solutions around that. So I've been very fortunate in the last 12 years to do this for a living. And um, yeah, I couldn't see myself doing it any other way from, from here on anyway. So, so very well, thankful. Yeah, well, I, I found once you work for yourself, you never go back to corporate. Um, first off, congrats on the success to date. Um, those are some some really cool milestones that you've hit along the way. I know you mentioned, was it 10 Fortune 500 companies that you've hit as well? And um, before we jump into Park Office and that business, specifically wanted to focus the conversation around hiring and lead generation based off some of the stuff you've put out there. Uh, I really want to get to know Gareth or our listeners to get to know Gareth yourself. A couple of cool things that have come across online are, look, you're a dog lover like myself. I can tell from your Instagram. Uh, you do love traveling as well. Um, so I feel you on that because I haven't got to travel and I'm sure you haven't got to travel with all that's gone on. Um, two, two, two cool things stood out to me. Well, three actually. First one was your mother was woman of the year in Longford. Your granddad was pals with JFK. But the other thing I want to jump into was I, I noticed quite a few of the people that you have pictures with online, them being your friend, Devin Hughes. I can see some mutual connections Jamie White and I like one of the things you said is that your surroundings are incredibly important. How important have your surroundings been in your success to date? Well, first off, thanks for doing the research. Um, yeah, I've, I've been fortunate to have a very interesting mix in my, my family and upbringing. My mom was Miss Puerto Rico as well. If you want to throw that in, wow. there. my dad uh, was on a motorbike across the world and, uh, from Ireland all the way to New York and met her in New York and brought her back to Longford where I grew up. Um, my granddad was a politician, a very famous politician from Puerto Rico uh, who, who ran the Hispanic campaign for John F. Kennedy. And in doing that, they became very good friends um, and moved to Washington to work on that campaign with him until he was shot and, and died. Um, but uh, very, very colorful history, which I grew up listening to great stories, great, great people. Um, and I suppose the question about surrounding yourself with, with other people, and I think it all comes down to mindset and network is your net worth. I believe that your real value is the people you hang around with and you're the average, some average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I've been very fortunate and lucky that straight out of college, you know, you named Devin Hughes there, straight out of college. I mean, I was actually running a sort of a pre-drinks party uh, business uh, where I, I charged a tenor into my apartment in Temple Bar um, where you get free drink and free food uh, before you go out to the club. And when I was in college, that was a big thing. Where would people go pre-drinking? And that was quite successful. We had 40 people on average two nights a week, um, uh, three nights a week, actually. And, uh, and it was, and Devin saw me doing it and jumped in on board. And then after, after college ended, we started our own business together. Um, but similar mindsets um, were able to come together and troubleshoot problems and think of solutions quicker than if we were to do it on our own. Mm. And I think that's the same with who you surround your, yourself with and 
like my fiance NASA, like she's super aspirational, wants to improve constantly. And I think if you're surrounding yourselves with people like that, um, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up with a really strong foundation uh, for the future. On, on the journey to who you are today, I've noticed you mentioned there you went into business with Devin, not, not, not getting too much into that. Um, I believe that every venture has their lessons in it. What did you learn from, without naming that business, you can name it if you want to, what did you learn from that? Yeah, so so I started a few mini, I wouldn't even call them businesses. I would, I would call them maybe attempts. Um, we set up one called eSound Energy, which is probably the most successful one. We started uh, two others, but um, eSound Energy, actually, the, the whole problem we were ch- challenging was that the world is facing an existential crisis of climate change and how could we offer a solution to that and we started to look at wind energy and solar energy and my dad is a farmer in Longford and he has land uh, in Lanesborough which has is right beside the power generation center and we just thought well we could use that land and create Ireland's first solar farm which is very successful in Germany and essentially it's putting PV panels all across the farm if it's flat as it was and you could then sell the power back to the generation center. And the thinking here was it's on a peninsula on the bog and the bog is turning to scree, it's being used up. So the thinking here was we would use ours as a test bed to show the country and the government that this was possible and then to start buying up the used up bog land and growing, the, the, growing our own um, company that way. And what we, we learned over the year was that you need significant funding and grant aid um, for renewables. And the government wasn't willing to back solar um, as, a, as a wind, as a source. They were more focused on tidal and some aspects wind. Um, even though Ireland receives more daylight hours than every other European country, which is better for the PV solar cells and that there's less variance in the temperature. So if you have really cold, uh, really hot temperature and really cold temperature, like in Germany, where it's, it's a huge provider of solar, that's actually really difficult for the cells. It breaks the cells down and they, they have more maintenance costs. Whereas in Ireland, the fluctuation is like, we kind of have these miserable winters. They aren't very cold compared to, you know, minus twenties, et cetera. And then you have these sort of lukewarm summers, uh, which with the odds, speck of a week of of sun you know uh so it's actually the daylight hours that cause the energy and we have more daylight hours overall so it it made a lot of sense and it's a real lesson for me in business in that you know 10 years on there's german companies looking to invest 500 million in solar in the midlands which is um which they've they've talked to the government about and proposed this and so you could have the right business idea but at the wrong time and I think that's a really important lesson. Um, you know, we went from there to LED lighting. Um, LED lighting has taken over uh, the industry. There's no, there's no point in having a non-LED light anymore with 80% savings on your energy costs. However, we moved into LED lighting, brought lots of products over from uh, this company, Norabachi in the US and tried to sell them. And people thought we were trying to scam them. You know, 80% savings up front 
I don't believe it. And then the recession, the global recession hit, nobody had any money. And we were trying to sell these expensive lights that give them immediate savings. They weren't willing to do that. And that ended the company. So we had right ideas, but at the wrong time. And I think that was, you know, we look back on that as fond, fond memories. And we both went our separate ways. And Devin is doing amazing things at Buy Me, uh, Ireland's biggest grocery. Uh, platform for for same day delivery and i think that's that's an amazing thing that he's done and i've gone on to do to do separate things but we consistently help each other so i think one of the big problems in ireland is that we don't have communities of people like-minded people helping each other we have this very begrudgery style get the man off the mountain mentality and i i've been trying very hard um over my career so far to remove that and help as many people as possible um, and help people up because I do believe the stronger the community, the stronger uh, chance of success for all. Um, and I've seen that from my different trips over to the US and see how they handle it. Big believer in that too. Spend, spend a fair bit of time East Coast myself. Going off what you've just said, well, going off what you just said, uh, one of the names that was on my board, we spoke prior to the recording, was actually Brian Caulfield. And I've seen that you've mentioned Scale Ireland. And I think the stuff that he is doing is fantastic for the entrepreneurs and the small scale sized businesses in Ireland. So hats off to him. I'd like to see more of that. Watching your YouTube channel before I jumped on this, I noticed there was one other thing that you were early to as well. And it was Bitcoin, 960,000, almost a million euro in Bitcoin you had, if you had kept it, who would have known that it would have been worth that much to date? Uh, I, I won't go into too much of that because that will probably bring back nightmares. One thing, you, one other thing you did mention before we jump into park office and Lee Jen and hiring, you did mention that stood out to me was you said standing on grass with your bare feet. I'm confused and I'm lost. So explain that to me. Yeah, sure. Well, I start with the Bitcoin bit. We, we, um, I, I'm a sailor V type of guy, you know, it, it happened and I don't think I, I'll tell the, the, the listeners what, what it was. Essentially, we starting crust, we were myself and Rob, my co-founder, were very always keen on on technology. And we were probably one of the first coffee shops to it to use an iPad as a till mm. and an EPOS system. And in doing that with the iPad, it allowed us to not only save costs, but actually to use apps on the iPad. And one of them was the bit BitPay, Bit Wallet. And so that allowed us to accept Bitcoin as a, as a payment. And in doing that, we became the first bakery in the world to accept Bitcoin. Wow. And if you Google that, you'll find Crust Bakery and articles in the Irish Times of myself and Rob and former central bank directors um, uh, in, in <laughs> actually transacting with Bitcoin back in 2015. And so... Over the first six months, we accepted about seven and a half grand worth of Bitcoin. Uh, and then the, what happened, crazy thing happened then the second six months, we didn't receive one payment in Bitcoin. So, you know, we did our end of year analysis and we found, you know, we have seven and a half grand worth of Bitcoin and nobody's using this uh, mm-hmm. anymore. So naturally, you'd think that this was a yeah. bubble or a or a stunt or, you know, the tulips, I don't know if you know the investment history of tulips. And it's, it's essentially, we thought it was going to collapse because no one's using it. So 
we decided to spend our Bitcoin in beers, pizza, and accommodation that accepted Bitcoin and uh, in, in the UK. And essentially, it, you know, it, over time, we were proven wrong to spend it all. We probably should have kept half. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you work it out today, I think it was a couple of weeks ago now, I've done that video on YouTube. But if you'd worked it out, it's, it's actually surpassed the million mark now. It would have been worth um, but who's to, you know, who's to know? And to be honest, it's a fun memory. I don't look back and regret it. It was something that made total sense back then. Um, and it's, it's probably a world's first for what's going on right now. It's actually yeah. gained so much steam that it's becoming a real, real contender to a currency. Um, mm. And I would say it makes more sense now after seeing what happened to retail investors in, in GameStop and how the bigger funds and hedge funds and money markets are maybe manipulating the market and cryptocurrency is a very strong answer for that not happening in the future. So, so yeah, very interesting space. I'm not a retail investor. I don't really, um, I don't really trade in the stocks. I do a little bit for fun and uh, mm-hmm. like most people, but uh, it's, it's, it's a big learning for me. And the second bit I forgot the second part of your, your question. Uh, standing barefoot on the grass. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm uh, the YouTube channel, just to give clarity, I set up a YouTube channel um, a few months ago um, because during COVID, myself and my co-founder, Dan, Daniel Paul, um, we came together and we we're like, how could we help people during this time? And I set up crust during a recession. And I knew, I knew, you know, there's going to be this huge wave of new entrepreneurship and innovation coming out of this. So I tried to come up with ways that we could help. I saw a lot of people getting into PPE equipment, supplies and things like that. And I just thought that's not really my, my game. I said, what could we help with? And the one thing we, could, we thought of was advice, startup advice for people starting during COVID. And uh, we started doing this um, thing called Saturday Sessions. And we would literally put it out there that anybody who wanted to do 15 to 30 minute calls to talk about their business, their business idea, um, or even business problems could do so. And like, there's no charge. So we, it ended up becoming really busy. We got like, I mean, my Saturdays became a nine to five um, and like, we enjoyed doing it, but we were wrecked at the end of the day. And like this lasted a few months and I just thought, a lot of people ask the same questions. And if you ask the same questions over and over again, I can keep answering until I get burnt out or tired. And then what happens to the entrepreneurs who come after you? You know, they're, they're stuck with the same questions and need answers. So I, I tried to look for a scale of a solution and I found YouTube and I thought if I can put out videos that relate to solving these questions that everybody asks me, then I could just send them the link and that gives them the exact same answer to the question that they're asking in a more scalable way and hopefully help more people. Um, so that's really interesting. Uh, pivot into, into YouTube, the, the standing in the grass bit, my YouTube channel is about entrepreneurship uh, personal finance and self-improvement and self-improvement is something like um, I'm constantly challenging myself with and learning. And one of the things is mental resilience and clarity and learning about mental resilience and clarity. And when you're having a a tough day, things aren't going your way. 
you know, and you're literally staring at the laptop going, you know, this is awful. One of the best things to do is to take a, a check, a check in with yourself. And, and I read in, in, uh, in the book, I think it was the book Hyper Focus. Um, I can't really remember where I read it, but it, they, they stand in the grass and it, it grounds you. So I went out, anytime you're having a bad day, like a really terrible day, go out, take off your socks and your shoes, stand in the grass and <laughs> you'll actually laugh at yourself, but you'll smile and you'll feel grounded. Do it for you know, a couple of minutes and just stand there and like you'll start to come back to yourself and you'll come back and you think about the problems as not being really that big. You know, it doesn't really affect you, move you. And I think that's really important for people. So these are some of the things I talk about in the channel is to try and get people to think about things differently when they're having a tough time, listening to the radio, talking about COVID all the time, you know, ground on the grass. I thought it was crazy when you said it, but uh, I'll always give something a shot. Uh, yeah. So I did. And I actually really enjoyed it. And I mentioned it to a friend that he starts every day walking around his back garden with a coffee barefoot as well. Love so, it. Love it. Love it. And cool. it's so simple. It's so simple. It's not like, you know, you don't have to be a brainiac to come up with an Excel sheet to do these things. This is something so simple and you try it, it's free and it makes you feel better. Well, talking about simple, segueing into park office as the exact business we'll use here. Simple for me, I like to keep things simple as well. I'm a big believer in what I call a cookbook. So it's essentially a daily list of things that I kind of must do to keep my pipeline full and the business healthy. Very simple things like, you know, got to make X amount of calls today, uh, touching in base with X amount of clients. And there's a list of kind of ranked in order of things that I got to do every single day. I have a prospecting cookbook as well. Um, I'd love to know what, if you were to create a cookbook, what would be in your cookbook when it comes to lead generation, kind of your top three thing, LinkedIn, referrals, networking, calling? Sure. So I suppose for, I do have a cookbook. It's, it's less about lead gen, but I suppose I get up, get up at five. If I don't, I'll write down when I, when I don't. I have a few other things, both personal and professional. I could try and read a chapter before the start of every day. Uh, I have them here in front of me. You know, I'll clean up for 15 minutes, which is probably an unusual one. But I, I read somewhere that, you know, if you, if you clean up for 15 minutes a day, your life will be spotless. And it basically is like such a small amount of time and you just find something to clean up, whether it's your G drive or your <laughs> the kitchen table or the bedroom. But if you do it every single day for 15 minutes, you lead a cleaner life and you feel more, um, you feel more uh, in, in, tune, in tune and more organized um, in general. Exercise, drink two liters of water, try and do some yoga because that's something I'm really pushing lately because I'm really inflexible. I'm sitting on a bad chair um, as I'm waiting to, to get my new one. Um, that's, that's better set up coffee you know only two coffees a day keep so but tick off that um that cookbook i think in lead gen um like i we've created an outbound uh outbound team that focuses on lead gen and then we all also have our inbound team which is linkedin with marketing and in and they they like i set out at the start of the year um 
their targets, their quotas, and essentially the process and strategy, and then improve the communication strategy in across the year. So personally, I don't really do much of the lead gen myself, but the process and strategy, which I'll talk about is more like it's very, very detailed and process driven because we're a SaaS company. And one of the most valuable things in SaaS is that you are trying to build a very scientific approach to growing your base of customers. And when you can prove it's repetitive, then you can say, okay, well, one uh, new account executive will bring me in 240K in new business a year. If I spend this amount of money in, out, uh, in marketing, I'll get this amount of inbounds, this amount, and, and my BDR team will, will have to get this amount of outbounds out in terms of e- email sequences, et cetera. And it will result in the same amount of people coming in um, from those outreach uh, strategies. And then the account executive will be able to close this amount of business per year. And it's, it's a multitude of many different decisions, lots of different sales collateral and information, but tie all that nicely into your uh, very process-driven um, um, collateral machine, basically mm-hmm. SaaS machine of, of outbound, inbound, and you'll, you should be able to break it down to numbers in your core KPIs for your sales team and cost of acquisition, et cetera. And like over time, I think my job is to improve that every single year. Um, so I spend a lot of time in Q4 every year uh, analyzing what we did um, over the previous four quarters and how I can improve that with the team into the following year. So a lot of meetings to improve that, a lot of learnings. And then we do this thing called lunch and learn on Fridays um, where we bring in other people who may be industry experts in different parts. And we try and take tidbits from them and how they do things in their company. And all our team are engaged in that and ask them the questions and how to improve. So we had one today, interestingly enough, on social selling. So our process is getting really fine, fine tuned and it's improving every single quarter. But social selling is something that's really, um, and you're doing a good bit of social selling, I can see, you know, on LinkedIn. And that's, that's important. How do the best in class do that? And so we had someone from a company that's doing it extremely well, and they were presenting how they do it. And then we were able to fire back questions in terms of like the little tips and tricks. So, you know, what days of the week would you set up a meeting? what hours of the day would you send out a request what um, what were the top if you could pick one channel that is your best channel to a most effective channel and cut out all the rest which would it be and um, what how did you knock down your top client you know and and asking these questions to to um best in class providers and, and operators we're finding out tidbits to improve our process and um, so it's less about one thing and more about a collective of of a hundred little things together in the process i'm a big fan of the attitude that you have not only the the help that you give to others but the attitude that you have as well you mentioned kpi to me two words spring to mind sounds like you're measuring a lot of things um with the end result in mind and also accountability so touching on the first one friend of mine he's a machine at cold calling that's all he does all day and I was having a beer with him a few weeks ago and he said to me, 
56, I can't remember, 56, 13. And I said, well, Kev, what the hell does that even mean? Like, I'm just going to, we're just going to shout numbers at each other. And he said, no, that's how much it's worth every time I pick up the phone. He knew from calculation, every time he picks up the phone, that's how much money he's making. So if he wants to make more money, he just picks up the phone more often. Now, not as simple as that. You got to refine your process. You got to be constantly be learning. You mentioned lunch and learn. Accountability, though, is another word that springs to mind. And as a business owner myself who's exited a previous business, uh, I'm a big fan of accountability. You're one of those people as well. Um, I'd love to know how do you evaluate whether you've, whether your performance has met your expectations or not? Like, do you have a day set aside? Have you got a coach? Have you got someone to share it with? How do you confirm whether you've met your expectations? Yeah, that's so. That's something I spend a lot of time with, obviously on a on a year to year basis. I um, so I break things down in in a decade format. This is going to sound wild, I suppose, in terms of timeline. But I have my life goals, and I break my I break down my decade down into smaller piece parts. So I have my ten year plan, then I have my five year, and and I literally start to break down all of my. Um, goals into smaller chunks and then I have like I, I literally write it out nearly every day so include in because I have very, very bad memory and essentially I have my personal goals and my life goals um, which just keep me on track and actually if you do it like that it keeps you very much in tune with the decisions you make and if you're if you're if you're looking for the best way to keep accountable, you look at your goals and you go, okay, will this decision match what I want, who I want to be and where I want to be in 10 years. And it actually gives you a very clear roadmap, not a very clear roadmap, but a pretty clear roadmap to bounce off, um, to bounce off different things. I also like to hear about different people and how they keep themselves accountable. Like listen, reading this book, your next five moves at the moment by, by Patrick Bet David. That's very interesting. He has, um, I'll just tell you this because it's interesting. But he has a, uh, he got an artist to paint a picture of um, all the pe- all the legends he admires. He calls them dead mentors. And essentially, he has everyone from Einstein to Martin Luther King to Art, uh, Arison Senna and JFK all painted into a room. Uh, oh, that's a pretty cool picture, that is. <laughs> and, uh, and he has it, he has it there. And so that every time he sits in his office, he looks at them and he goes, would they do what I'm planning to do? You know, and he bounces that off them to keep himself accountable because he has a big plan and big goal for himself and he believes he can do it. So he's bouncing it off people he admires and respects and they keep him accountable, his dead mentors. And my live mentors, I mean, I, I keep myself surrounded by people who keep me accountable. You know, my, my fiance, She's constantly, you know, keeping me on my toes. Then we have people like Devin and other entrepreneurs. My co-founder, Dan, and I, every year we have a sit down where we discuss our, our personal and business goals and did we hit them. Um, and so we, we have that list and we email it to each other every year and we see how many we've ticked off um, as well. So I know there's people who do accountability groups on month to month and um, um I, I, I think that's a very good idea. But for me, I'm very conscious that it should match your life goals as well as just your business goals. Because money is money is one thing. Um, 
and I just believe that there's different tiers on a on a on a pyramid. Like if you think about it, there's there's four different peers on a on a pyramid of, of life. And I think you get to um and what drives you. So one is just stability. Um and like you 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 get to a point where survival, you, that's your initial instinct is survival. Yeah. How do I how do I have enough to feed me? Then you get past that and it's status. So how do I make more money than everyone else? How do I have a nice car and nice uh, life traveling, etc.? And like after that, then it's more about financial freedom. You get to that stage where you want, you want to get past the status. You're tired of getting lots of likes on Instagram. You just want to be financially free and be able to do what you want. And I think then you get, you get to a point where you start thinking about purpose and what is this all for? Where am I going? What do I want to be in life? And that's if you, the quicker you can find out a, your purpose, the more chance you have of achieving it at the end of the day. I think if you look at life in those four pillars and how you have to go through the, through the tunnel um, and get past all of those different ones, that's, I think it's important to know what your purpose, uh, try and figure out what your purpose is, which is probably one of the hardest challenges in life. There's definitely a stage there in that t- peer or tier that you referenced that you see people. I went to a talk on mental toughness once, and it was around the age of like 50 to 55 onwards that people start to give back more, whether it's to charity or just help out in their local community because they've achieved what they want to achieve. There's two questions at the end of an interview that I ask, and I always pick one. I always had one and what it's what the what's the current book you're reading. The reason I have two now is because most of the time people reference the current book they're reading halfway through the interview. You've done that already, so I'll save the other question for the end. Um the last question I want to ask before we get to that is on the topic of hiring. I noticed that you did a video on YouTube on hiring, lessons learned. I found through a study with Harvard Business Review that the cost of a bad hire in SaaS is a quarter of a million through lost revenue. Um in uh in a in a year sorry um and i'd love to know when it comes to hiring because you've mentioned you've got aes and bdrs an inbound and outbound strategy who what's your initial uh plan of attack for when you want to hire someone new do you have a board of people that you go to do you have an external partner uh is it all good feeling Talk me through, not the, because I know that you've got a minimum of three interviews, but the initial stage of hiring a new AE or BDR. Yeah, it's a good question. So I believe that if they're, if they're, um, essentially it comes down to a multitude of things. So I believe that they first have to fit the company culture and the, the core values that you have in your company. So I think if you take a step back from a from a leadership point of view, you should first define what your company core values are before you're hiring people. So our company core values, you know, are ownership, innovation, and self improvement. So how do and that's why we have a company that's filled with entrepreneur style uh, people and and team members and game changers. I think we have who define and every year they define those core values and every month we go through um examples of how each member of the team has 
hit one of those core values over the month. So someone has taken ownership and brought a whole new process to life uh, in the company and excelled with that. Someone has, we have a chart where everyone is looking to self-improve on a, on a monthly basis and they say what the thing is that they're doing and we try and hold ourselves accountable to that. And then innovation, you know, our, our pain here is what are we innovating at? And we'd be very pushy on that. We don't want to just have innovation as a pain on the wall. We want to be accountable to what innovation are we actually bringing? What are we learning? What is new? What is new about this? And just challenge yourselves on that. I think when you have your core values pinned, then you go out to hiring and you have to source people who are embodying those core values in some way. And then you try and find, like whether it's through agencies or through LinkedIn or through you know any of these different mediums, even uh, I find people in our in our company are very good at keeping other people around them who are also in that mindset. So I find one of the first places to start is the network of your team. Mm-hmm. And, and we've already hired people who are uh, friends of people who are already in the company and they perfectly define our core values. And um, so when you have your core values, you go out to the market. And I think through the interview process, you have to sort of flat tease out that personality, that, that, uh, um, that experience and show let that show true and there it's their job as well to to take ownership of, of this application and be able to provide reasons that they're that they're a good fit for a fast scaling company yeah yeah nice well look last question to, to wrap things up here is i'm a big believer in investing in oneself um i've seen the positive returns on it year on year straight after this call at four o'clock my uh, weekly roundup is we call it Friday night fight, but it's essentially an hour of role playing with colleagues where you go back and forth on issues you've had throughout the week and you role play them out with one another. Um, you mentioned that, uh, I'm just looking at my notes here. You mentioned that you took out a loan to go to Dublin business school. You invested in yourself looking back lessons learned. And was it a good or bad decision? Oh, it was a brilliant decision. It was a brilliant decision. You should always back yourself. I think sometimes you, you, you lose money, but at the end of the day, if you keep backing yourself and investing yourself, it's a net positive every single time. And mm-hmm. you learn, you, you don't, you don't fail, you learn, you know, you, you don't, if you don't, if you invest your money in and it was, you find out that what it was, wasn't right for you, you learn that. And then you also get wiser to how, how to identify this before actually spending the money next time. Agreed. Agreed. Awesome. Well, look, thank you very much for your time today, Gareth. It's been an honor to spend 40 minutes with you and uh, I wish you every success in the future. Cheers. Thanks for having me on.